Hey, Life Canton, Roger here, one of the directors. So glad that you're joining us. I do, do want to apologize if you hear any sudden sounds in the background. We're getting our roof worked on, which is fantastic news. As some of you may know, we've had some issues with our roof leaking, so we're getting that replaced. So if you hear any sudden noises, that is what is happening. But I'm so glad you're with us, whether it's the first time or you're listening for your 364th time this year. Either way, I want to remind you that we believe you belong and we want you to get connected. So fill out a connect card on our Life Can website or on our Church Center app too, so that we can reach out and get you plugged in. Also, if you want to participate in what God's up to in this community, uh, including beginning and supporting our 10-year vision, which is to bear the torch of Jesus' justice and love and to reclaim our identity in Jesus, one of the ways you can do that is by giving financially. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity by, again, heading to our Church Center app or our Life Canton website. So today we are in week two of our Out of Hiding series, a series where, based on the feedback and discussions we've had with many people in our congregation, we are talking about shame. And this week you'll hear from Pastor Jared as he talks about the kind of shame that occurs from things that were done to your situations that happened to you. So give that a listen and I'll catch up with you in just one moment. Amen. 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 You can have a seat. Welcome to Life Canton. My name is Barry White, and I am one of the pastors here. I'm kidding. No. I'm just getting over a cold, so I uh, I got a voice a couple octaves lower. But it maybe sounds more like the voice of God today, so maybe you might hear something today uh, for the first time. I also want to say what a blessing to worship together. Do you feel that? Do you experience that? And and here's the thing, too. It's it, You can hear it's pouring rain outside, and it's okay. Maybe you're a little bit nervous because you know our roof is in the process of getting fixed. And so you're like, I don't know if I want to worship too hard yet because that seal might get broken, and then like the water will pour in, and that's a different kind of baptism uh, that y'all in that section, Mike, and, and you next, the water's going to come there. So if it comes down and you feel a drip on your head, that's not the Lord. That's the rain. Um so just letting you know, I also want to give you an update. Um, our roof, uh, the new supplies are actually on the roof right now. They, they set them there on Friday. Who knew we could get excited about roofing materials, right? Uh, but they're on there and that's, uh, they're going to start working on that process this week. And so that is uh, unfolding. Uh, I want to say welcome to all of you. And especially if you're a little bit newer here, uh, we're glad that you are here. I want to thank all of the volunteers that came out yesterday to help clean up the grounds. That was a, a lot of fun. We had a lot of good food as well. Also recognize May's kind of a busy month too. It's AAPI, which stands for Asian American Pacific Islander. And so we recognize and welcome our sisters and brothers who are Asian American Pacific Islander background. We're glad that you are part of our church and continuing to grow. And part of what we do in that month is we just honor and, and, and are grateful for the contributions that AAPI folks have uh, contributed to our society, to our world, and specifically, even more importantly, to our church as well. We are in a series. Uh, actually, first, let me say this. If you're newer here, by the way, if you're newer here, we're gonna, there's going to be a QR code that will come up on the screen here in just a second. I encourage you to take your phone out, scan that code, and, uh, and get, we want to get you connected. But if you have any problems or trouble with the technology, just check us out in the lobby. We'd be happy to meet with you. 
Now, we are in a series called Out of Hiding. We kicked it off last week. Bass, uh, Roger gave a message about the origins, the genesis, if you will, of shame. Where, and we see it in the book of Genesis, in the beginnings of the creation story, where out of the creation, the first humans experience shame. They go into hiding and God says, who told you you were naked? They've been naked all along, right? Uh, but now they notice their nakedness. And as a result of that, they feel and experience great shame and God clothes them in new clothing. They choose fig leaves, but he gives them animal skins to protect and care for them. God initiates this process of care and provision and protection, even in the midst of our shame. And now we want to spend the next few weeks unpacking more of what that looks like. And some of you are coming in with all different kinds of backgrounds and stories and circumstances that bring about shame. And some of you, I even talked to somebody last week, came up to me and said, Jared, I, I, don't, I don't know if I feel ashamed or I have any shame. And, and that's great. Some of you don't feel that or experience that. And I'm grateful um, to God for you that, that maybe you're not in that place. And then there's some of us too that um, maybe we feel shame or we experience shame that we don't even know that we have uh, because we have covered ourselves with this very hard outer shell to protect ourselves, maybe even to fake it. And beneath the hard shell is maybe a hollowness that we don't even know is there. And so maybe that will become revealed as we go throughout this series. I want to talk about some specifics with shame. There are different reasons for shame, maybe even different kinds of shame. And uh, some of the shame that we are probably most used to in our culture is shame that's your fault. It's just your fault because you did something, right? Maybe you grew up in a home where you did something wrong. You broke something and mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or somebody said, you should be ashamed of yourself, right? You should be ashamed of yourself because that, that's your fault. You did that. And, and most of us are probably familiar with that kind of shame. Then there's shame that it's not your fault. It's not your fault because it's maybe shame that came as a result of something that was outside of your control. Maybe an event happened. Maybe something happened to you that you had no control over. And so now as a result of that, there is this residual shame that you experience, this internal shame. You're, you're working through that. You're working through whatever trauma might have happened as well. It's just not your fault. That's, that's another reason for shame. And then there's this third category that we want to talk about that has a lot to do with what we're talking about today. And that is that shame and honor is part of the culture. It's just baked into the culture. And this is maybe not something that we're super familiar with in our Western mindset for those of us who grew up here, uh, but throughout other parts of the world, specifically um, in Asia, in Southeast Asia, in the Middle East, in parts of Africa, in South America, shame and honor are built into or baked into the culture and have been for centuries where actually these categories, your fault, not your fault, don't necessarily exist. It's just part of the culture. Uh, some of you know what I'm talking about, where the shame and honor culture is sort of these unwritten rules, or maybe there are written rules, but it's just rules that nobody really has to say, but everybody knows about it. You know what I'm talking about? Like uh, students, you go to a lunchroom and as you're walking into a lunchroom, you know where you sit and where you don't sit. You know what makes you popular and what doesn't make you popular. Nobody has to say it, but you know it, right? And some of you are bringing up memories from high school and you're like, I, don't, I didn't want to go there today. Thanks a lot, pastor. Don't talk to me about that. It's just unwritten rules of society. I'll give you a kind of a lighthearted example. The very first time that I came here, I flew here from Minnesota and I had to get a rental car to obviously drive from the airport to Canton. And I get to a four-way stop at Ford and Hagerty. Now, I don't know. Somebody made fun of me for the way I say Hagerty. How am I supposed to say it? Hag all right. Haggerty. I don't know. Y'all have 
Ford and Haggerty. Um, I was at the stoplight and and the red lights here uh, last for a, a minimum of 10 minutes, let's say. And so I'm sitting at the stoplight and, I, and I'm just kind of looking around, just sort of observing. I'm new here. And everybody in the surrounding vehicles, I'm in the middle lane, everybody is staring at me. And I'm like, man, does every, is the town that small that they know that I'm not from here? Like, do I stick out that badly? And, and I, I start noticing some things. I look around. I'm like, oh, this, oh, oh okay. I, I see what's going on here. I see Ford, 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 GM, GM, Ford, Ford, Ford. And I'm like, oh, okay. I realize what's going on. And I look at the steering wheel and I've got a big old Toyota sign on my driving steering wheel. And I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe that's, Maybe that's why I stick out because I'm driving a foreign car. Not only am I foreign, but the car is foreign and everybody's just staring at me. And I realize, oh, that's right. I'm in Motor City. I'm in Ford territory. I'm in GM territory. And so everybody's kind of looking at me like this guy doesn't belong. Right. And uh, I that's sort of like this shame that I felt in this moment. Like, oh, I should I picked it. I clearly picked the wrong rental car. I should have picked a, a Ford so that I could blend in. This is just a, a very lighthearted example of sort of what we feel in our culture, in our society. There's just certain things that you do and certain things that you don't do because you don't want to stick out or you don't want to draw attention to yourself. That's shame and honor, right? That's a very mediocre or very minimal uh, example of our society. We don't fully get what goes on in other cultures where it is deeply rooted into their society, deeply baked into their culture. As to who they are, there are just some things you do not do because not only is it offensive uh, to the people around you, but maybe to your, your, your tribe, to your village, to your whole community, to your ancestors, it all matters. When you talk about the biblical context of shame and honor, the Bible is written within that kind of culture. And if we don't fully understand that, we're going to miss a lot of the scriptures or a lot of the nuances because they are surrounded by a shame and honor culture. Even outside of the people of God, even outside of the Hebrew culture, all ancient uh, societies around that area are deeply embedded into this shame and honor culture. And it wasn't so much categories of if something happened to you or something that you did. It wasn't so much it's either your fault or not your fault. It was way bigger than that in a shame and honor society. And often, almost always, it was connected to the interaction with the divine realm, whether they believed in one God or multiple gods. It was always connected. So, uh, for example, if something happened to you, uh, we would say, well, that's not your fault. But to them, it was much more complicated. So a big one is fertility. Like if you as, as a woman were not able to bear a child, uh, they wouldn't, in, in our society, would say that, that, that that's not your fault. Like that, that's not your own doing. But in that society, it, it was more complicated than that. It, it probably was your fault, actually. It was maybe not your fault, but it was your family's fault. It was your ancestors' fault. And there's a reason why you can't have a child. And maybe you upset the gods in some way. They're upset with you or they're upset with your ancestors. And so that's why your womb is closed and you're not able to have a child. That is how they understand shame and honor in that culture. That's how they understand the relationship with the gods in that time, the divine realm. And so you were filled with shame because the gods were upset with you in some way, shape, or form. Now, we might think that that's just relegated to the other ancient civilizations, but this is banked, baked in to the people of God as well. We even see a story in the New Testament where somebody interacts with Jesus and his disciples, and they come upon this man who is blind from birth. You remember what they said, for those of you who know the story? Jesus, is it this man's sin or his 
parents' sin that caused him to be blind, right? Shame and honor is built into the society. And so whatever hardship you're experiencing, we have to have a reason for it. We have to have an understanding for it. Is it something that you did? It is your fault. Or maybe if you think it's not your fault, maybe you did something to upset the gods. This is rampant in this culture. And so now we've got to ask ourselves the question, how do we approach God with this sort of shame and honor perspective? How did the people of God approach God for something that they had, a need that they had, a concern that they had, a sense of brokenness that they had that was outside of, or at least seemingly outside of their control? How do you approach God when you've got this issue, but on top of that, there's a layer of shame that you can't seem to break through? Let me ask you this question more specifically, more pointedly. How do we approach God with a need when we are stuck in our shame because of something that is seemingly outside of our control? And on top of that, we're struggling with feeling like, well, maybe God caused this. How many of you have had that thought before? And not only that, maybe God caused this, but maybe, maybe it actually is my fault. How do we approach God in the midst of that kind of shame? I want to look at two stories in the New Testament, see how people interact with Jesus, how they approach Jesus with their needs, with their situations. If you have a Bible and you want to join along with me, you can. It's in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. Let's read it together. As Jesus was saying this, the leader of a synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Let's go to the next verse. And it says this, Just then a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And then it finishes this way. Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment two situations. Uh, the first story uh, starts out, one is just getting started and we're, we're learning about a, a circumstance where some healing needs to take place. And then we get right in between there, we get a second story that begins and ends in the span of three verses. Two different stories, but they pose this or position this uh, element of shame and honor. And I want to point that out if I can. We need to uh, recognize that both of these stories, both of them acknowledge Jesus. They both acknowledge the fact that he even has the power to heal. Both of them need healing, right? But the response of Jesus is different. Let's first look at how they approach Jesus. And we're going to go back to the first story first. Uh, the one where the leader has his daughter who has a great need. So let's look back at these verses. And I want to point out some words that stick out to us. As Jesus was saying this, the leader. So already we have a person of nobility. We have a person of honor. He's a leader of a synagogue. He would have been, he would have been a big man on campus in that village, in that particular area. He came and he knelt before him. Notice his position. 
He's right before Jesus. He's at Jesus's feet. He is kneeling. So acknowledging a submission to Jesus, this rabbi, even though he's a man of nobility, he still recognizes that Jesus is an important figure, but he kneels before him, right? That's his position. And then he says, my, my daughter has just died. So this is a recent event. It's just happened. But because of that, he's got the confidence to be able to speak to Jesus. He says to Jesus, you can bring her back to life. Notice the confidence in his voice. Again, he's, he's acknowledging the power of God through Jesus, that Jesus can heal him. You can heal him. It's not like, well, you might be able to, could you do this? No, you can. He just declares it to Jesus. And then he says, there's con- some conditions here. You can bring her back to life as long as you come. You have to physically come to the house and you have to lay your hands on her. That's how this healing is going to come about. And so Jesus does. He, he honors this request, this request of this man of honor, of this man of nobility, recognizes the, the power of God, recognizes that God can heal, and Jesus obliges. And so they get up and they go together. Now, I want to skip over the woman's story for just a second and go to the second half of this story and look at that one together says this, when Jesus arrived at the official's home, so again, we're getting a reminder that this is a person of great importance, right? He's an official's home. Now notice, it never uses the word shame and honor in this because this is a culture who is deeply understanding of that shame and honor culture, but they are giving us clues to recognize the difference between these two folks. This is a leader. This is an official's home. And when they saw the noisy crowd, now check this out. If you're a man, a, a man of wealth and nobility and honor, uh, if, if somebody dies in your house, uh, it would be an honorable thing to make sure in Middle Eastern culture that you get everybody involved, that, that, that there are people that have a role to play that have a job to do. In fact, you could even buy uh, the, the services of folks to come and, and cry and wail and lament out loud uh, at the funeral because the more noise that you created, it was a show of, oh, oh you really care. You're really taking this grief seriously. And this is really an important, man, it would bring you more honor to the situation the noisier the crowd would be for, our, for their grief. And not only that, but he saw the noisy crowd and he heard the funeral music. So this guy's got some money. He's able to pay musicians to come and bring about this music. And then Jesus comes in and he says, get out. He told them, the girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. And then look at this last part of the story. Going to the next verse after the crowd was put outside. However, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand and she stood up. The report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside. This news got out. This was on the news. This made cable news. This made public news. I mean, this got out. Everybody knew about this situation. This was a big deal. And it should be, right? It should be because Jesus just brought this girl back to life. That's amazing. This is a man of honor. Recognizes God recognizes the power of Jesus, the power of Jesus's healing, trusts in God, puts his faith and trust in him. Jesus comes to this person's house, puts his hand on her and heals her. This is one approach to God for healing. I want to contrast that with the story of the woman that only takes place in three verses. 
Let's look back at her story in the next slide here. Just then. Just then. I don't have that highlighted. It's just sort of italicized because I wanted to just point out one section of that. That doesn't necessarily have to do with the shame and honor as much. But here's the thing. Just then. Meaning this is just a blip. This is just an interruption to the story. This isn't even the headline of the story. The headline is the official, the leader, the person of honor who has his daughter who needs to be taken care of. Just then, in passing, all of a sudden, now there's this woman, this interruption. This wasn't even part of the story, but it's a story within a story. Just then, a woman, again, context clues here, a woman, again, Shame and honor, those words aren't used in this passage. They don't have to be because everybody reading this, everybody that was present in the situation would have understood the implications of that. Here's a little context for how the Middle East and the ancient world treated women. Women were basically like dogs. They were the equivalent of a dog, of a stray dog. And here's the thing. There was a very common Jewish prayer of a man, of a Jewish man, a common prayer that they would get up daily and said, thank you, God, that I was not born a woman. Then the second prayer, thank you, God, that I was not born a Gentile. Then the third prayer, thank you, God, that I was not born a slave. Baked into the culture. All that has to be said is a woman and all the alarm bells go off for the hearers of this story. Here we go. Here's an interruption. A woman, what's she doing here? She doesn't belong here. Some churches today, even in America, still have that perspective. Not here. More I could say about that. Let's continue on. Just then a woman who had suffered for 12 years, 12 years, she's suffering. So not only is she treated like a dog in that society, now she's suffering. What is she suffering with? Well, constant bleeding. And there's lots of different uh, images that we could come up with or ideas about what that means, what kind of bleeding that is. But here's the thing that we need to understand is that in the Old Testament, bleeding and a certain kind of bleeding was considered shameful. And not only that, but it was tied to Jewish religious law. So there's all kinds of implications about God's involvement with the understanding of women and their status in society, as well as with the issue of bleeding. And there are all kinds of rules about how you deal with a woman who is struggling with bleeding, and you would put them outside of the camp. You would ostracize them because it was shameful for them to be bleeding. They can't be in our midst. They can't be part of community. We need to put them outside for a time. But for 12 years, dealing with bleeding, for 12 years, dealing with this suffering, dealing with this thing that is seemingly outside of her control, although in that culture, they wouldn't necessarily have all of those connotations or those categories. She's got to be wrestling with all different kinds of ideas. Like, why is this happening? Why has this not gone away? Why am I not healed? Does God even care about me? Suffering for 12 years. Years, constant bleeding. And look at her position as compared to the man's. The man came and knelt before Jesus. She came up behind him. Why? Well, already, if we've established enough of her shame, she is hiding. She's not even supposed to be there. She's supposed to be outside of the community. 
She's supposed to be in isolation. She can't be near us. She's unclean. She's dirty. She's messy. She is shameful. She's hiding. And so she comes up behind Jesus and she touched the fringe of his robe. You know what that means? Where's the fringe of his robe? A robe in the Middle Eastern culture would flow all the way down to the ground. She is on the ground, touching the fringe of his robe, just hoping to get a piece of it. Maybe she can just touch the edge. She doesn't want to be seen. She doesn't want to draw attention to herself. She's willing to get into the dust and into the dirt just to be able to touch the fringe of his robe. And check out the next part. She thought, she didn't speak. She doesn't speak this entire story. This woman is filled with all kinds of shame because of who she is, because of what's been done to her, because of what she has endured but somehow she has enough confidence to believe that God might still pay attention to her, might still have the heart and the compassion to extend some kind of healing to her if she can just touch the fringe of his robe. She doesn't even speak it. She just thinks it. And if I can touch his robe, the other man says, no, you need to come to my house and you need to lay your hands on my daughter in order for her to be healed. That, again, that, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But again, it's how do we approach God in the midst of our shame? This woman just thinks, if I can just touch his robe, he doesn't even have to lay his hand on me. He doesn't even have to come to my house. He doesn't even have to look at me. If I can just touch his robe, then I will be healed. And then look at Jesus's response out of all of the shame, out of all the hurdles she has to go over, Jesus responds to her. And it says this in the next verse, Jesus turned around. And when he saw her, he said, what's that word? Daughter, what did I say about women? Dogs. In that society, the equivalent of a dog. Lowest on the rung of society. Jesus turns around and he doesn't call her a dog. He calls her a daughter, a daughter, daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. That is intense. That's huge. That's a completely different kind of turning point in the story. Jesus in this other moment has to go to the man's house, has to lay his hands on the girl, has to bring healing to her. But he says to this woman, to this woman who is experiencing all of the shame, who is stuck in hiding, who's been suffering for 12 years, your daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Not only does he call her a new name, bring empowerment to her, but actually says your involvement in this process because you have reached out and touched my robe, because you believed so much, because your faith is present. That's actually what brought you healing. Your faith has made you well. This is an incredible story of how God chooses to encounter us as we encounter him, as we approach him in the midst of our shame. See, both situations are tragic. They are. Illness and death and disease are bad all the way around. They are. But how we approach God based on our status and based on our circumstances has so much more to do with this situation. 
This woman has so many more hurdles to get over in order for her to experience the healing. Think of what she has to endure. She's got to wrestle with the fact that she's a woman. Shame. She's got to wrestle with the fact that she's bleeding for 12 years. Shame. She's got to wrestle with the fact that the religious folk probably think it's her fault. Shame. She's got to wrestle with the question, maybe God caused this. Shame. She's got to wrestle with the fact that she's not even supposed to be here. Shame. She's got to imagine that Jesus has much bigger and better things to do with his time than to pay attention to little old me. Shame. Some of you feel the hurdles that you have to get over in order to experience some kind of connection to God. And I don't know what it is that you've been dealing with. I don't know if it's caused you to feel some kind of disconnection from God from, for months, for years. And maybe it has to do with the hurdles that you have to go to and get over. And maybe you don't even have the courage or the strength to even imagine that God cares about your healing, whatever it is that you need healing from or healing for. And like this woman, maybe you feel forgotten. Maybe you feel like you're too low on the rung of society. Your status isn't important enough for God to care about you. God's probably got better things to do with his time. He's dealing with much bigger miracles, the kinds of miracles that need to spread throughout the countryside. Make no mistake, God is a healer. Am I talking to anybody today? God is a healer and Jesus wants to bring healing no matter who you are or what you're going through. And I don't know what that healing needs to look like. I don't know when it's going to come and I don't know how it's going to come, but Jesus desires for you to experience healing in some way, shape or form. But for some of us, we've got some hurdles to get over. And the hurdles that we have to cross aren't going to be done in our own power. We're not going to be able to in our own physical strength, in our own mental strength, in our own academic pursuit to get over the hurdle. Some of us might need to be carried over the hurdle. We need to be lifted over that hurdle because we don't have enough power and strength to do it on our own. And that is the point of the gospel is that you don't have to get it all figured out. You don't have to get it all cleaned up. You don't even have to be accepted into community before Jesus wants to bring about that healing and carry you over that hurdle. That's the good news. But we may need to understand a very hard, yet simple, profound truth that I feel like can only be illustrated in this way. I think about one of my favorite movies is Goodwill Hunting. I'm not endorsing that movie. There's all kinds of colorful language in that one, okay? So just, you know, just hear me out on that. But it's a story of this young man, this brilliant young man, genius, but grew up in a really tough situation, in and out of foster homes, dealing with all different kinds of abuse situations that brought a lot, up, a lot of pain. And now he's this young adult and he's got this hard outer shell. He wouldn't be one to say he's dealing with shame. Absolutely not. No, he's cocky. He's arrogant. He's got it all figured out, but he uses that. He uses his brilliance, his genius as a way to shut other people out. But if he could just tap into something, maybe, maybe that genius and that brilliance could come out and it could be a, a good thing for others as well. But he's gotta, somebody's got to get through to him. And all different kinds of people have tried until there's this one figure who has a different approach, a gentler approach, and is able to 
start to kind of peel away at this shell and it's taking time. It's a lot harder than he thinks it's going to be. And then eventually there's this profound turning point in the movie where they talk about all of the abuse and the pain that's been inflicted upon him and upon others in his circle. And he says this very simple yet profound truth. He says, Will, all this stuff, it's not your fault. Will says, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. No, he's like, I don't think you do. It's not your fault. Yeah, I I know, I, I understand. No, you don't understand. It's not your fault. Yeah, okay, no, no, you're not hearing me. It's not your fault. I know, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. He breaks down and he weeps like a little child. And the shell comes down. The walls come down. For some of us, in order to get over that hurdle, in order to be carried over that hurdle, to believe that God could even care about you, is to hear those words, it's not your fault. Whatever shame it is that you received because of something outside of your control, it's not your fault. The names you've been called and continue to be called, it's not your fault. The disabilities you've had since birth, it's not your fault. The mental illness that you struggle with is not your fault. The abuse you've endured is not your fault. How other Christians have treated you, it's not your fault. The anxiety you have from not meeting unrealistic expectations, it's not your fault. You may need to hear that repeated over and over again until it finally breaks that cycle of shame. But the most important thing that you can see is that last verse that we read, that God doesn't call you dog, that God doesn't look at you, that Jesus doesn't look at you and say, just get it all together, just get it all figured out. No, he calls you daughter. He calls you son. Be encouraged. See, the whole reason I wanted you to read Ephesians chapter one all throughout this last week, and if you didn't get a chance to, I want you to hear these words maybe in a brand new way. This is what Paul says to the Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, who are filled with all different kinds of people, daughters and sons who don't see themselves as that, who don't understand their status as the children of God. This is what Paul says, I'll praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with God. Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Amen. This is what God wants to do. This is his desire He delights in calling you his dearly loved children. 
sons and daughters. Doesn't call you slave. He doesn't call you dog. He doesn't call you unworthy. You are not an interruption in his day. You are right where you need to be. And if you are laying down on the ground, reaching out just to touch his robe, that's okay. Be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. How can we approach God if we are stuck in our shame and our circumstances? I want to give you a couple practical things to think about. The first one is prayer. Reach out in prayer. The way we communicate to God is in prayer. For those of us who feel, maybe we don't feel ashamed. Maybe we feel like we're in a position of honor and we can kneel before God still, even us. And we can pray, we can talk to him. And then some of us, we don't even know what to pray. We don't even have the courage to pray. We don't have the strength to pray. And then Paul says to a church in Rome, he says, hey, sometimes you don't even know what to pray. Guess what? The spirit intercedes on our behalf and prays and groans that we cannot even express. If you don't know what to pray, if you don't know how to speak, if you stutter, if you can't think straight, guess what? The spirit works on your behalf. He carries you over the hurdles of your life. Pray. We're going to do that today. Some of the prayer team are going to come forward in a little bit, not just yet, but in just a little bit. And I want to encourage you to take the time in this moment to come forward and pray. The other thing is to seek counseling. Sometimes we need to be with people, maybe a little bit more intentionally. Uh, We are not a church that is afraid to talk about counseling. We are not going to tell you, well, guess what? You're struggling with mental health, mental illness. Uh, You just need more faith. BS. I'm sorry, but BS. Faith is important. Yes. And God may choose to work through counseling, through a professional, through a spiritual director, whatever it is that you need. And so we've curated a a list of people from all different backgrounds and perspectives uh, to to provide that counseling. That's on our church center app. It's also on our homepage if you want to go and check that out. If you have any questions about that, please let us know. And we'd love to help you. Seek counseling. All of our staff either is meeting with a counselor or a spiritual director Uh, right now or working toward that so that we too can continue to pursue mental health. And May is Mental Health Awareness Month. We want to draw attention to that. We want to be part of that process. The last thing is this, seek communion. Seek communion. We praise God because of the blood that was poured out from Jesus. That cross, the work that was done on the cross was yes, for the forgiveness of sins, but also to heal our shame. And as I said, some of us don't have the strength to get over the hurdles and to break the cycle of shame that we feel. And some of us don't even recognize that we have shame because we have covered ourselves in this hard exterior, this hard shell, only to realize that if we were to break it away, it would be hollow inside. You don't have to fake it anymore. Whatever it is that you're trying to cover it up, whether it's your unbelief or you're not even sure you believe in any of this stuff, whatever strength you lack to come to the table and to participate in this meal that the Lord shares with us. I'm going to sing a song in just a second that says, you are carried to the table. Because in your own power, in your own willpower, in your own strength, you might have, might not have the courage or the strength to get there. Part of coming together, community, is doing this together. So I want to encourage you to take the juice and the bread that you have with you. And if you don't, 
can go out to the lobby and grab that. But there's a moment where Jesus shares this meal with his disciples. And on the night that he was betrayed, because of somebody's unbelief, because of somebody's lack of understanding that Jesus wasn't the kind of Jesus he hoped he would be. On that same night, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to all of his disciples, including the one that was about to betray him. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup after he'd given thanks, he said, drink of this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant, my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And I would argue, for the healing of our shame. Do this as often as you drink it to remember me. We get to join with the global community as we participate in this meal and as we are united with Christ together. Take the bread. Take and eat. as you hold that cup be reminded this is the blood the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins do this as often as you drink it to remember me take a drink spend time reflecting on what God has done in this song welcome back I just want to reiterate what Pastor Jared said one more time, which is uh, if you're in a situation that is causing shame or something has happened to you that has caused shame, it's not your fault. And God is here to restore and remove your shame from you. So with that in mind, I hope that everyone has a blessed week. If you have anything going on this week or just currently in your life that you need support and prayer for, please let us know. We want to support you. Let us know again on the Connect card so we can reach out and come around you as a community. I hope you have a blessed week. I hope that this week you are freed from some of the burden of shame that you may be under and that God shows up in your life in a way that is impossible for you to notice, in a way that brings you face to face with a loving father. We'll talk to you again real soon.